You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Hey, Pastor. Well, hey there, Doc. How are you doing? Well, it's a Tuesday. It is. It is. It's a super rainy, thunderstormy yeah. here. Like so much so that um, I had to rescue my wreath, my front door wreath from uh, the, a block down. Oh, as the after the rain and wind stopped pounding oh, as, wow. as bad as it was. It was I mean, I normally don't hear it like literally whistling outside the door. Yeah. And I it was loud. It was it, we, we got a really, really bad storm. And um, so I my wreath is rescued and it's now very wet and dingy outside. Yeah. But it, it rained here this morning. We went to the grocery store. And apparently, uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. is the perfect time to go to the grocery store. There was no one there. Good. There was enough produce where we could get everything that was on the list. Good. Oftentimes, we go to the grocery store and the vegetables have been picked over. And yeah, there's there's like mushrooms, but there's no zucchini and squash, you yeah. know, and – I, I need something other than mushrooms, but um, it was raining and that I helps. noticed that I just feel like people get stupid. Can I say that? People get stupid during inclement weather. And this is our podcast. We can say anything we want. Okay, great. <laughs> um, uh, well, I didn't want to be like ableist in. Yes, I understand. You know, or pathologizing. I think you're right. I think people do. Um, people lose. Uh, they They lose. A piece of sense. Yeah. When there is weather outside. Yeah. And so I noticed that people were driving very fast when the visibility was not great. And, you know, I just am like, what, what's, you know, the risk is too great to try to drive the speed limit, you know, when it's raining. And so I took my time and took it easy. I drive slow anyways, like an old man, but um, so I was driving extra slow. And, and then, you know, once we finished at the grocery store, the rain let up and then it was raining a little bit when, when we got home, but I, yeah, I mean, the weather has been really interesting this year all across Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we have, it has been breezier, like wind, not breezy isn't even the right word, windier than I feel like I ever remember a spring. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we have had highs of 80 and we have had lows of 36. (laughs) Yeah, it has been all over the place. Um, But it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a good I mean, days like this make me tired. We have been talking um, before we started recording about how fatigued we are and how we're going to do our best to not yawn on, um, on the podcast, which you just did. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You, you you put yourself away from the mic, but you did. Um, And yeah. So days like today make me feel more tired than I probably am. uh, But also make me feel as if I can get, um, some things accomplished. I had a dream last night that I had been hired to do a presentation and I had flown to the place where I was to do the presentation and all of a sudden um, my computer wouldn't work. I couldn't get the presentation pulled up. Um, It was like I was in my old corporate days and my boss, who is a very dear friend, um, but also like I never wanted to see him angry, was the one that had hired me. And there were all of these important people that he had brought in to see this presentation. And I kept like it was an entire dream of me trying to make something work that I couldn't Uh. get to work. And I felt like when I woke up that it was indicative of uh, the magnitude of my to-do list yeah. and how, how overwhelmed I'm feeling in, in these days. I, I am, I am, I wish I weren't stunned, but I'm a little stunned at how quickly and uh, almost violently we, we have asked one another to, to, to sink back into mm-hmm. a, a pre like a 2019 um, way of way of working. Yeah. Um, not only are we, are we thinking that life is back to normal, but it's almost as if we are asking for an accelerant to be poured onto our capacity yeah. And I think none of us are, we aren't built for that anymore. Mm-mm. I mean, not only is it a, you know, a, a tenet of supremacy culture, but it, it also, I think these two years have taught us that being slower and more methodical and more thoughtful has allowed us to do better work. And I, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want this accelerant poured on my, on my fire right now. And it's really, it's really frustrating me. I, I'm glad you're saying something about this because um, I, I've been having this conversation with a lot of people around capacity and bandwidth. And I feel as though, I mean, and, and I know that we're going to talk about the book event um, in, in a bit, but even you tried to get on my calendar to talk about the book event and there are, are Charlotte are one of those. And and there, there weren't any available times. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, even I have to make an appointment to talk to Dr. Robin. <laughs> um, but it, it, it does sort of raise up for me. Um, why are we trying to return to quote unquote normal when there is another variant on the rise? I mean, I just saw on Instagram a couple hours ago, the New York Times saying what what to do to prepare for the next variant. 
And I feel as though culturally we are not tending to these little details around things like rest and fatigue, capacity and bandwidth. You know, when, you know, people, people now are working seven days a week. Yeah. You know, I, I, I fear that people don't have weekends anymore and people are not taking the time right to rest and yeah i think we had had such a i mean throughout our lives because of how industry and and culture has conditioned us i mean you know i had 25 years of working experience to build up the elasticity in my capacity um, that came to a screeching halt in, you know, March of 2020. Um, It, it didn't feel excessive to me in many ways because I had both physical and mental muscle memory around what I felt like I could accomplish and what I felt like I, I was I was able to do and and how I was able to then still rest in the midst of that and yeah. and care and and care for myself and that elasticity it just simply isn't there. We right. have all lost that, and so I really do fear that we are um, trying to ramp so quickly that the ways that we will burn out, the ways that we will crash, the ways that we will, I mean, you know, use anger as our response mechanism or, you know, check out of, you know, situations will be even more detrimental um, because of the, 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 the mentality that we've reassumed. And I, and I don't know what to do about that, but it's really, it's, I think because I'm actually, I'm physically feeling it myself. Yeah. Um, and I'm someone who doesn't normally feel those things. Yeah. Um, I mean, the pandemic afforded me a lot of opportunity to get more in touch with my body, to really understand and notice what, what's happening. Um, yeah, it just feels, it feels like a lot to me. Um, do you think – I know that we're having this conversation, and we talk a lot about bandwidth and capacity because yeah. you and I could work 24-7 on activist theology project-related stuff. Yeah. But I believe in having a culture of play, and which is why I'm coming to Chattanooga this weekend. Whoop, whoop. And, but do you think outside of our little bubble of ATP – do you think other people have this awareness of the necessity of rest and the and the reduced capacity? I think some do. Um, I mean, I'm really i I am lucky that um, you know another one of the organizations that I work for um, really does value the fact that we all do other things in our lives other than work for them yeah, and, and encourages that. Now, yes, there are still deadlines and there are still things that have to be accomplished, but um, 
I think it, I think it's very dependent. I think, I think we are, we, you and I are lucky in that we have largely recrafted our work and play lives around communities and relationships that value it. Yeah. Which makes us, I think, an anomaly. Unicorns. I think it makes us unicorns. I I love being a unicorn. (laughs) Um, But I I don't think it's the norm. Yeah. I I really don't. I, I have so many friends who are educators who are struggling this year more than they have ever struggled in the history of, of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, especially those that are teaching in, in public schools. Yeah. Um, and, and there are a lot of contributing factors to that, but I, I do think that this accelerant and this expectation is, is part of it. And I am, I, I'm deeply worried about us as a, yep. as a, as a larger, you know, human community. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's not, it is not sustainable. No. Um, and we've been saying that for generations and we still keep trying to come back to the model of capitalism and, you know, industrialism that right. um, got us here. I, um, talking about education, my students, and so I'm teaching at Duke and at McCormick Theological Seminary, and in both cases, uh, both classes, they're tired. And, you know, I have this pedagogical practice of not putting due dates on things uh, because I want people to have a relationship with freedom. And a lot of students don't know how to do that because they've been expected to adhere to someone else's deadlines. Right. And so many of my students are, I mean, I've gotten a lot of emails thanking me for the way that I led classes because it gives them an opportunity to have agency. And I think right now, especially people are losing their agency because they're being expected to perform at a level and with a capacity that they just don't have. And that feels really dangerous. It, it, it feels, and, and, and there's a lot of lament happening. There's a lot of grief. We've, we've experienced a lot of loss as a human community. And how do we tend to those things? But, but I feel like everyone around us is saying, okay, back to normal. Yeah. Back. Let's do it. Yeah, and then and then also not forgetting that there were humans during the last two years who radically accelerated their lives. Yeah. There are, you know, healthcare workers and you know frontline workers and right. essential workers that in in industries that um, you know could not would not ever stop. Um, doing what they were doing over the course of the pandemic, who I would hope are beginning to find some rest or at least an ease in their schedules. But, you know, the privilege that, you know, I have to complain about the, the, 
decrease in my capacity based on trauma related to the pandemic in comparison to knowing those frontline workers and healthcare workers were, um, you know, pulling shifts that were untenable for any human. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I realize that even, I mean, as I want to name that cause it's, you know, it's not lost on me that this conversation is not one sided. It's, yeah. you know, there's a multiplicity of, of things going on in it. Well, I, um, we both have a lot of friends who, um, are frontline workers and essential workers. And, I just want to raise up one, um, Abra, who is a black queer dance artist here in Nashville and who got COVID in 2020. She works at Trader Joe's and the, the, the stress on her mental health has really impacted her. Uh, to the point where she has had to, I guess she was working five days a week and she's gone down to work in three days a week because she just, or three or four days a week. Um, it, she It's just hard. You know, she, I mean, she hasn't gotten a break. In fact, she was working overnights and then she went to work in from five to two or six to two, something like that in the morning and you know, it has taken a toll on her. She's had to go on medicine to deal with or to help her with her anxiety. And she's had to reduce her hours. Now, thankfully her job is working with her and, and they gave her all the different options, you know, but one of them is they couldn't protect her job. And, you know, I think about, I think about our work where, um, there's such a demand for our work and, you know, someone like Abra makes about a hundred or $130 a day. I mean, we're talking working class. Yeah. And so cutting back one day just for her mental health cost her. And so she had to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we don't have the safety nets in place. I mean, we, we talked about this last year around networks of trust and networks of solidarity. Um, we don't have those networks and especially as the accelerant is placed upon our time and our, our ability to produce it, it, it minimizes our agency and, and really reduces our capacity to show up well right. and being present uh, to the work at hand. And so I feel really deeply for our essential workers and frontline workers who um, are exhausted, who are having to reduce their hours because their health is impacted and, and mental health have been impacted. And, and so many of them are struggling economically and, and they were struggling before. And so the, I mean, we've said this before on this podcast, the system is not working. Mm -hmm. 
and we are trying to imagine another possible world. And I just feel for our community who I think who are just the struggle is real for them. And I mean, I'm glad that you and I, for the most part, can navigate our schedules. But even you and I, you know, we get backed up and our to-do list is long. And, you know, I don't have enough hours in the day sometimes. And I was in bed at nine o'clock last night because I was so tired. Right. And and yet I've got to get up and and do it again on Tuesday and, and figure out how to manage. And I had to add the grocery store to my to-do list today, right. you know. And so yeah, it's a lot and people are dealing with a lot. Yeah. And I don't know how we're going to get out of what feels like a whirlwind. I will say that I I am optimistic. So if, if the pandemic provided one thing, I think it provided a an acceptance towards the need for therapy in yeah. all aspects of, of our lives. Um, many people kind of came to or discovered or finally um, entered into a, yeah. a relationship with a therapist during the pandemic. And I am hopeful that that these, these kinds of frenetic days that we are talking about um, – will also then be um, helped by being in relationship with therapists. Um, That's an encouragement to all of you that are listening, that if you, you know, thought that you, you know, were done needing your therapist because the pandemic for you feels close to over, uh, don't stop. (laughs) Keep Keep going. Keep going. Keep doing that. Keep, you know, talking about the hard things. Um, but yeah, I'll be curious to see how the remainder of this year plays out. I, um, I have a lot of, uh, I have some, I have a lot of plans I, that, you know, a lot of play that I have scheduled over the course of this year and the optimism around that, you know, makes me feel less fatigued some days than I may be because I, you know, do, I do look forward to, the, the play. Yeah. I also know that I am prone to yeses and I am not um, as comfortable if, if for no other reason than because, you know, I need the money to yeah. say no to things. And so, um, you know, I just hope that I just hope that the mindfulness that I established and that that uh, the that piece of my elasticity remains uh, rigorous. <laughs> yeah, as things grow. I just finished a book by Thich Nhat Hanh called "You Are Here," and it's about the discipline of presence. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to foster presence more so so that I'm not just going from one thing to the other, but I am being mindful. But, you know, on a day where from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I've got something. It's really hard to be mindful. And I think I think we're not the only ones who struggle with that. Uh, I think folks who are essential workers or frontline workers, um, certainly it's harder for them to be mindful and present in their job. But yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we cultivated 
a society of presence and mindfulness. I think coupled with therapy. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. We'd all be such more relational humans. (laughs) That's where I was going. We, we would have a different relationality in our society. And I think that, um, you know, as, as weird as people think therapy is, I mean, it, it has really saved my life in, in very real ways. And I, uh, I worry about us as, as you know, that we no longer know how to be human with one another. Um, but you know, if this weekend was any testament to what's possible, you know, Oh, friends, let's talk about the beauty that was Dr. Robin's book event, um, the book launch event in Nashville this past weekend. Um, we had between 50 and 60 folks in person. Um, we had about the same joining us via a live stream. We, yep. we know that many of you are those people and we're grateful that you uh, took your time out in, in that, in the evening to, to join us. We experienced really a a, a night of embodiment having been, you know, guided into the evening, um, by Tasneem Grace, um, your colleague at Mosaic Fellowship, um, who is just a remarkable human. Yeah. Isn't she? Um, we, you know, you and and Joe Lumen got to uh, vamp and rant and answer really tough questions about your book and and where you, um, you know, see the body yeah. showing up in the work and in the world. Um, we had movement. We had music. Uh, we had readings. We had wine. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was just the best of all things. We have lots of wine left over, so yeah. So maybe you should bring a little bit of that to Chattanooga this week. Well, I was going to say I could I could bring some with me. Yeah, uh, that's a good idea. Great, great. Um, but I would love. So the one thing we haven't done on this podcast yet is really dive deeply into the book and yeah. to give you an opportunity to really speak to. Um, why you wrote it, how you're feeling about it now that it's in the world. You, you've, you've joked several times that, um, you know, you feel like there that you, you know, are walking around without your clothes on. Yeah. Um, it just kind of based on the way that this book, um, kind of opens you up to, uh, you know, the, the, the eyes and the gaze of others. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about Body Becoming, A Path to Liberation, and tell us a little bit about um, how you're finding this, like, post-week um, coma yeah. of, you know, like, coming down off of off of the goodness that is the week of your book launch. Yeah, uh, you know, it's... It's never it's never easy to launch a book. You, you don't know if you're going to get through the noise of what's happening in the world, but it seems like people are buying it, people are reading, people are DMing me, people are commenting and posting and tagging me. And that feels all really exciting. And really my hope for the book is that it would start, be a conversation starter around bodies 
and not just our individual bodies, but our our collective bodies, our community, our communal body, and hopefully our planetary body. Hopefully we will steward a better a better world as a result of reading it. Um you know, launching a book, you you really have to plan for about six months. Um three before and three after. And so I'm still really in the thick of it and I'm doing a TikTok live with Reverend Brandon Johnson, uh, Robertson today. And um, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. You had to show me how to do that. Um, but lots of conversations about the book, lots of conversations about um, what's possible in the world. And, and it has made me think about um, how unwell we are, and and I say that because uh, I Un- saw unwell in what way. Well, I, I, let me explain. Um, I the the Tennessean wrote an article about me that dropped on Friday, and um, it was on the front page, and so it got a lot of viewership, and the they posted it on they posted my my picture on Instagram with a link to the article and Darren Jackson who was at the book event on Saturday posted a comment a very sweet comment and tagged me in it so I went and looked at the comment and then I started reading some of the comments which we had talked about we, on we Sunday did. at brunch we did <laughs> not to not to read the comments not, to, not to, don't ever read the comments yeah. right and and uh, like we are really unwell. I mean, people are really hurting. the The comments were so cruel on Instagram. Now, I've not read on the web version. Uh, I reached out to Liam Adams, who is the religion reporter, who is very interested in our work and wants to cover more of our work. Uh, I reached out to him last night and just said, I, "I'm seeing the comments. Are y'all aware of the comments?" I mean, they they were. Uh, I don't want to say dangerous, but I, I'm glad that they didn't post my address. Let's say that, um, which it's probably possible to get my address, you know, and, and maybe scare me, but it, um, I got, you know, we're, we're, we're still connected to these people. This is still part of our body. And so how do we, you know, my big question is, how do we connect with the most wounded parts of our body, of our collective body? And that's what I mean when I say we are so unwell. Um, I, I don't know that we know how to practice wellness with each other. And it, it, it's not just disagreeing with people. It's, it's being cruel to people. And, you know, there was a lot about sort of gender discrimination and a lot of critique about my using Latinx. um, And, you know, there's just a lot of cruelty. And so I, I was just thinking about this last night that these are people with whom we are connected, but there is a, a radical disconnection. Right. In, in the body, in the, in the rhizome, right? And there's a rupture. And so how do we, 
how do we heal that rupture? And, you know, I'm hoping that this book will be a way to begin suturing the wounds. Um, I believe it takes a diversity of tactics, but I, I am very curious how to be well when there is so much unwellness. Yeah, it's difficult. I, I you're right. I did um, ask or recommend that you not read comments on Sunday. I, I mean, I and that's from my own experience. Yeah. <laughs> I am um, unfortunately no stranger to being in the news, and um, it it's a it is amazing the level of of hatred and um, opinion that kind of rises up from behind people's keyboards into the ether. Um, And also it is our disconnectedness and our inability to recognize ourselves as the body collective that gives people the impression that the responses that they have are okay to put in the world. Right. I mean, if we were humans who could see the the string, the twine, the yarn that was literally tying one of us to the next, to the next, yeah. to the next, and the way that our interconnectedness really is so, I mean, it's such a beautiful weaving. Um we would be much, much less inclined to speak that kind of unwellness into the world. Yeah. And the likelihood is that those humans who were saying unkind things, who were, you know, who, who you are concerned about their, their wellness are likely connected to you physically, literally relationally connected to you through one or two other people. Right. I mean, we, we are not that, we are not that disconnected from one another. Right. Um, I mean, there is a reason that, I mean, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, this kind of concept of, you know, six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it really is hard to thwart the reality of that kind of connectedness when you really start looking at the ways that, we know one another and then others know others and others know others. And then those others ultimately know us. Right. And so not only are we unwell and not only are we not recognizing that unwellness, we also are allowing our inability to be in relationship with one another or even seek that relationship to kind of, provide that unspoken permission for us to act poorly and, and, and be ugly with each other. I'm sorry you had to, I'm sorry you had to read those things. I'm sorry that you had to experience that. It makes my heart hurt. Um, it pisses me off. Well, Aaron wanted to punch pillows after reading the comments and, you know, she wanted to make sure I was okay. And I'm like, I got thick skin. This is part of it, you know? Yes, and 
I, I think what I saw was just how cruel people could be. And, and I'm like, wow, they, they must be really hurting if, yeah. if, if that's, if that's their sentiment, but you know, it doesn't, it does not take away from the beauty of Saturday night. And, no. um, and I just want to lift up since I mentioned the Tennessean article that Liam did, the article from the Nashville scene that Kashif uh, Andrew Graham wrote, who is a poet and writer. Uh, it was a beautiful piece of art that he produced in the Nashville scene. You could look it up um, online. We can include those links in the show notes so okay. you all can have some quick access to them. Yeah. But that, that article was beautifully done. And I feel like, I feel like he was able to articulate the work that we are after and and he's read the book and and I feel like he got it and so that feels exciting. I, I um you know there there were some new faces there on Saturday and that was exciting and some people that I didn't know and some other people who I did know who said they wouldn't have missed it. And the the icing on top was the flower shop brought 20 hand-done bouquets for people who, um, like the, the movers and, and the music, um, and that was very sweet to, to receive that. Mine are on top of my they, – they are sitting right below my television in, in the main room, and I'm, I'm – I look at them all the time when I'm upstairs and um, I, I still find, I mean, they're just, they're, they're gorgeous. It was a really lovely, lovely takeaway Um, and such a fun night. Just a great weekend all together. And yeah, it's always fun when all of your favorite people are in one place. Yeah. um, Celebrating one of your favorite people. And so it was a, it was a good, it was a good time. You know, we, as we were talking about, Um, this episode and knowing that it was going to kind of uh, meander. I mean, you know, that we had a couple of things we wanted to name. Um, One of the things that we have recognized and we want to make sure that we name publicly to our listeners is that, you know, it is not lost on us that we have not spent um, any time this season um, naming the conflict in Ukraine um, naming the genocide that is happening to the people there, um, you know, acknowledging the harm that Russia and its people are doing um, to Eastern Europe. Um, we, and as you are talking about the unwellness of people commenting on your the article written about you, it seems to me that those correlations run really closely to to one another um, in acknowledging how unwell um, the the leaders and the the government is in in Russia. And and, I mean, you know, the Ukrainians are, are, are... Russians, you know, yeah. many of many, many people who live in Ukraine have moved there from Russia. They are, they are attacking their own in many instances yeah. and killing their own and, and destroying the lives of so many. Um, and that unwellness is, is easy to see on full display if we just watch the evening news. 
Yeah. I yeah, I you know, I th- I think I think you know, what makes our work so valuable to me is I think that you and I are good mirrors for one another that we're able to see each other really well. And I think war and conflict seems like the mirror, the mirrors are missing and, Mm. and Russia, Russia has been such an antagonistic aggressor for so many years. I feel like they've lost their mirrors I think the U.S. is in the same way yeah. as an as an empire and sort of an imperial dominant power. We've also lost our mirrors, um, but you know the the Ukrainian people. Um, it's really devastating to be reading the news and keeping up with what's happening, and you know trying to figure out how do you support the people who are most impacted when there's so much propaganda and you don't know where to go to get the story. I was very happy to receive an email from Restream, which is a service that that we use. Restream is actually created by Ukrainian people. Uh Right. And they're using – the Ukrainian people are using Restream to get the word out about what's happening. And so some of the subscription fees are going to support the Ukrainian people, which I was glad for. Right. Um, you know, but, I, you know, I, I would love to even think about, you know, where do we give support? Who do we give I've been seeing so many posts, um, largely through the New York Times, about um, babies and children who are having to be transported from a hospital to a bomb shelter and, you know, have like IVs connected to them and connected to machines, you know, and I'm just like, wow, what a, what a, what a time to be living in. And and so right. there's a, there's a deep sense of empathy that I have right now. And, you know, violence is happening right here in my backyard. The criminalization of homelessness is happening, which we signed on to a letter for Open Table Nashville to present to the Senate Judiciary Committee. You know, but, you know, I, I worry about the wellness of our collective body and... Mm -hmm. You know, in the same way that the criminalization of homelessness here will impact countless people, the same is happening in Ukraine, right? Right. Um, aggression and war and conflict is destroying a country. And I don't know, it just, if my book does anything, maybe it invites people to imagine another possible world. And begin to have that conversation. And and I, I don't know that our government leaders are asking the right question. You know, they're trying to figure out how to keep China and Russia from deploying nuclear weapons, which is a legitimate concern. But, you know, are we are we even thinking about community when we're asking those questions? Largely not. Right. Largely not. Yeah, of course. Well, friends, we um, if, if, if this episode does nothing to encourage you, um, it has been a little bit of a 
uh, lament today. Um, and yet, um, be encouraged by finding your way to your local bookseller and grabbing a copy of Dr. Robin's book, Body Becoming. It's, it's really just so well done. It's, um, it is a Dr. Robin, it's kind of part, um, memoir, part, uh, indictment <laughs> part, yes. uh, imagination, <laughs> like yeah. it does a little bit of everything. Um, it tells your story and, and it, and, you know, it indicts those who, um, are, you know, are creating, um, the disconnects yeah. and it provides the imagination for what's possible, um, with our bodies and with the collective body in, yeah. in the world and how we actually do become yeah. that thing that, that can save us. I, um, I would encourage all of you do, do buy it from your local bookseller. If you can, um, there are lots of big, um, engine companies that you could purchase it from. Um, but please do support local if you're able. Um, and join us on the porch. We're going to be having some conversations around Robin's book, I'm sure. And, uh, there's some actually, there's some really exciting things that are yeah. getting ready to come down the pike. I mean, we're having some, we're having some robust conversations yeah. about what's about to happen on the porch and, yeah. uh, it's exciting. It's also a little scary. Daunting. Yeah. Daunting. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I'm, I'm really thrilled about it. And that's the best way that you all can connect with activist theology and with the work that, that we're doing. Um, doc, as you have heard, Dr. Robin will be in Chattanooga with me this weekend, which means that next week's episode will undoubtedly contain tons of stories yes. and spilling of the tea. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let me, let me, let me also say this because I, I mean, I want people to order the book. I want people to read the book. And I do have some books here from the, from the book event. Yeah. And if folks want a signed copy, feel free to DM me and Venmo me and I will mail you a book only if you want a signed copy. I don't have a lot of books, but I do have a few books that I could sign and mail to you. And I would be happy to do that if you want a signed copy. That's amazing, friends. Yeah, do take advantage of that. Um, thanks for being with us this week. Thanks for um, sitting in on this uh, conversation that Dr. Robin and I have each week amongst ourselves. Um, connecting the dots isn't always easy. And um, there are still places where we're trying to figure out how yep. we connect and where those lines are. Um, but we're glad that you're with us for it. And we will see you next week next week. Bye, y'all. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no.
You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.